1: You actually did. Do we go out on the water sailing at one point together? Yeah. We did. We yeah. did. I, I trusted probably. you. you trusted I trusted you. Yeah, you did avoid, pretty good to avoid the the big giant ships in the shipping lane. <laughs> yeah,
2: to get to get out of the of the harbor. That, I remember that was like well, wow, the, the guy har- knows what he's talking about.
1: Funny enough, even just getting out of the harbor is a is a, yeah. a journey in, unto itself. I know. And uh, yeah, I mean, if we're we're normal sailors or if somebody doesn't think about it it's you, you take the boat out and off you go and, and you end up uh in catalina island and you have some fun and everything's fine you know, no no danger whatsoever. no danger
2: you didn't bring me to catalina i know we so, didn't we didn't park. i i missed the island i just went out of the <laughs> arbor then back and i, I want to know more about this uh this island look that's look how cool. we're like climbing here to get to where <laughs> okay. we want to go
1: well I think there there's two two parts to the story. Of course, uh we're we're uh sharing the name of of uh, the company we're chatting with Highland and uh I'm presenting a fact that we often don't think about our journey. We just hop on and off we go and who knows what we're running across uh, and what what the dangers are. And that's especially true in in a technology that pretty much everybody uses at home and at work. And we don't think much about uh, the risks on the other side of of uh, that browser bar that we're typing stuff into, and all, all the buttons that we click and links that we click. So I'm thrilled to have this conversation today because I think we we don't generally think about this problem yet. When you do today, <laughs> you'll go, "Oh my gosh, we we should be thinking about this problem." And and thankfully, Brian and team have have helped you. Uh, with this when you realize what's really going on here. So, Brian, uh, I'm excited to have this chat with you. Um, before we get into kind of where we ended up to today uh, with Island, uh, a few words about yourself, some of the things you've been up to, and and perhaps your your, your journey to uh, starting with Island.
0: Yeah, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity of joining you today. Um, So as you mentioned, I'm Brian Kenyon, I'm Island's Chief Strategy Officer, also part of the founding team here. Um, Very privileged to be part of uh, starting something so special, but it's actually the culmination of a couple decades of experience. In fact, I started um, in the very uh, late 90s um, in my cyber career with a company called uh, Foundstone, which was in the vulnerability management space once upon a time ago. And many people know the Foundstone name from several of the founders who went on to take on um, and, and build special companies like CrowdStrike and Mandiant and um, Silence, to name but a few. Um, FoundStone was acquired into McAfee where I spent um, the better part of you know almost a decade building technology, solving various cybersecurity challenges where a small group of us as an executive team left together to go and uh, join Coat and solve challenges around web security, specifically with proxy infrastructure. Um, that journey, you know, as we think of our life and journeys, um, that journey had an interesting turn as Symantec acquired the technology in the company. And those of us who were the leadership team at, at Bluecoat um, had a remarkable opportunity to become the leadership team at Symantec, which very rarely happens in an acquisition where the acquiring company takes over the leadership of, of the company that's acquiring them, right? And so we had an interesting opportunity to Take a look at the semantic portfolio and revolutionize what they were doing around um, integrated cyber defense. And all this experience and and really introductions that we've met and and folks that we've acquired and technologies that we've acquired all culminated into this area um, and into the specialization around web security that led to the invention and the creation of Island. So let's... uh,
1: Let's talk a bit about what you see in the organizations. I mean, I, I know a lot here having uh, prepared for this conversation, but I think when, maybe I'll just start it this way. Almost always when I'm having a podcast in the back of my mind and almost almost always it ends up coming out as a question of why are we spending so much time trying to shore up controls around stuff that shouldn't be that way in the first place (laughs) and and I I think the the web browser is the perfect example where I mean we use it and then we spend a ton of time and money and tools and resources and and what have you uh, dealing with the the risks and the exposure that introduces and um, maybe paint a picture for us of how prevalent and people know this but when you describe it, I think it'll really resonate with them. How prevalent the browser is in the enterprise and even small medium businesses. The things it does, the stuff it has access to, the the trust we place in it. Yeah. Paint that picture for us.
0: Absolutely. And and I think actually the theme of this conversation today should be journeys because the browser of, a, you know, as an application has had an interesting journey, not only in our consumer lives, but in our enterprise applications as well. And if you think about it, right, let's go back a couple decades. You know, the browser ended up as a very innocuous part of our businesses. It came in through operating systems, right? It came in via Safari on the Mac. It came in via Internet Explorer on, on Windows. And then we got creative with Firefox and You know, Chrome eventually came out and we've seen many variants under Chromium. But when you really go back and trace its early beginnings, I mean, it came in through the OS and at at a corporate level, we really didn't care because folks were using it to shop and pay bills where they could pay bills in those (laughs) early days, but shop and browse for information and, you know, do research. And they were doing it in between meetings, lunch breaks, you know, while they were trying to kill some time. And really, all we cared about from a corporate perspective was really almost HR compliance. Don't let these folks on their break end up on a site that's going to get us in HR trouble, right? I don't want gambling. I don't want anything sexual. I don't want anything that, you know, could, you know, potentially cause an HR issue in, inside the corporation. And that was it. That's that's what we cared about a browser. And then slowly, almost without notice, the browser started to become a more prominent part of our daily work environment, right? More and more applications started to become web-based. If you're an IT administrator, more and more of your life started pulling up out of you know, SSH clients and putty terminals and started coming into web browsers and you know, console configurations in a browser and web applications. And so more and more of our life started emanating and originating in the browser. But here's the thing the browser never changed, right? It didn't evolve. It didn't grow with its activity inside the enterprise. In fact, it's still the same piece of infrastructure that we deal with, which is unapologetically consumer in its design and its requirements and its functionality. And yet we use it as a main part of our daily work operations. And we have very little governance and control over it. Now, that's not to say that the browser has gone ungoverned in our environments for all these years, right? Like I said, it's a journey. It started with web filtering and controlling the web usage. And then we started to see more and more data and applications start to become in there. And so we started investing in DLP systems. We started investing in proxy infrastructure. We started investing in CASVs, in API gateways. Then we started worrying about encryption and how we had to break encryption on the wire and more and more tools and solutions started making it into our environment. And here we are in 2020 and we're looking back and we're saying, how did our security programs get so expensive? How did they get so complex? How did we start to erode the ultimate end user experience where just to come to work from home, they have to launch a VPN, they have to backhaul traffic, they have to use a browser, and their traffic gets interrupted, and they get these opaque air messages when they can't do things. And this is all an effort to just add shareholder value and create a going concern of our businesses. This was the opportunity statement that Island truly seized, which was, is there and can there be a better way to do this in today's modern technology stack?
2: You know, so we talk about a journey, and I love the, the metaphor of the journey. Every story is a journey, and especially the origin story in this case. And the way I see it, as you're describing this, and Sean even mentioned, you know, like we didn't even think about this as the browser to be to be the problem. But despite that, it's like, you know, that's what we got. Let's keep going. So we wasted all this time, and I'm picturing this, you know, getting water out of it, uh, you know, <laughs> fixing a hole, <laughs> maybe like yeah. hammering something to it. And, and, and I'm like, how is that nobody ever thought about, you know, maybe it's time to kind of turn around and get a better boat. And I think like the, you know, the metaphor is this, is that like you can get the boat for the journey. It just wasn't equipped with that. And, and it brings me to doing something that is, using something that is secure by design. So I would like sure. to go into this concept here. It's like why we couldn't, you know, why our human mind just didn't, didn't think that way? What do you think?
0: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I, I think it's, um, you know, there, there are these things in our lives that we just take for granted because it's the way they always were. The browser being consumer-based was just the way it's always been. And there's never been an introduction of a viable solution that has ever been accepted by the end user community. And so I I bring this up specifically because it's not the first time an enterprise or a browser offering has been brought to corporations. We remember companies like Bromium and Invincia. We remember companies like Good Technologies and WebLife. And these were all different browser variants. And the problem was, They all died on the vine because the end users revolted. And why? Because the experience was different from what they could get at home and what they had for their entire professional life up until that point. And so while we saw huge inefficiencies with the browser and how the browser worked, the solutions we saw in the very early days were very limited. And in fact, if you go back and you think about your security as a set of primitives and a set of... Of, of principles, if you will. Like we've, we all learned in our early CISSP days, you know, authorization, you know, the AAAs and all of the things we think about from that perspective. But there are also other principles that were built into this. And I think, you know, Marco, you said this perfectly, which is the concept of secure by design. And when you think about that concept, the concept is security is baked in from the inside. Well, think about the way we've addressed the browser historically. Security was never baked in the inside. In fact, the only way we could exert security on the browser was from external controls like proxies, like Casbys, like API gateways. And the efficacy of that is the most brittle you can find because we know just principally it is far more difficult and costly and complex to secure a system from the outside than it is natively from the inside. we learned this in bank vaults. We've learned this in safes. We've learned this... Throughout our lives and physical ways, the same is true digitally. So, how have we gotten here in 2020, where now a company like Island can disrupt and innovate in the space? The answer is Chromium. So, over the last decade, Chromium has become the standard for the modern browser, and it's done so because of the way it operates, the user experience, the rendering engine, how it paints the screen, its compatibility across, you know, ninety-nine you know, 999% of the internet out there. That has become the standard. And so today, when we think about an enterprise offering around a browser, if you are starting anywhere else from the Chromium open source project, you're starting from a bad place because we've learned historically that the end users matter and end user experience is king. Chromium can, gets us that end user experience.
1: Can I can I briefly Please. interrupt, Brian, because I, yeah. I think there's another point here. Um, just kind of looking back on on history and all the different browsers, and and you talked about rendering and and, and Chromium now supporting ninety nine plus percent yeah. of of the operating environment. The, the old stuff <laughs> all rendered things in different ways and looked at code differently in CSS and HTML and JavaScript and JSON. All the all the things that I'm I'm not even going to attempt to list them all. That, that underlying complexity was just a mess. It was. To try to have any consistency for the user experience like you described, but then also from a management, policy, compliance, control perspective as well. If you're trying to apply controls and all this stuff works underneath differently, mm-hmm. good luck just maintaining that. I mean, think about different firewalls and different protocols and things like that. So maybe, maybe tie that into... How things started leading into Chromium. How Island leveraged some of the, the simplicity or less complexity, I guess. Yeah, to, to really make a difference here.
0: You know, it, it's a great point. You know, if you go back, if you go back, I mean, you don't even have to go back that far. You go back five years, we we can start talking about frameworks and technologies like Flash and Silverlight and ActiveX and Java applets and. These were all mechanisms we used for agile development, because for one reason or another, it was a more efficient form. We moved from server-side compute to client-side compute back to server-side compute. Now we're somewhere in between with content delivery networks and everything in between. But what's happened is from a programmatic standpoint, Chromium simplified a lot of this. It abstracts an amazing amount of the web backend from the end user. And that's where that user experience came from. I mean, we can probably all remember back in the days when web compatibility was a big problem, right? You used to go to one site and it worked great in Internet Explorer, and then you had to go to another and you'd launch Firefox because that was better and it displayed better. Those days are over with Chromium. Now, what's not over inside the enterprise is in our consumer world, running across an application that's prominent in our day-to-day lives that's still running ActiveX or Flash, It's pretty rare, right? It's hard to come up with one of those things. You got to go back to the Wayback Machine at the Internet Archives to to find that stuff, right? But our enterprise environment, you go into a company that's been around, a manufacturing firm that's been around for a century, that's been around for multiple decades, you are going to find technical debt. You are going to find applications that were built on IAS 4 and older. You are going to find these deprecated frameworks because... It's what was cutting edge at the time they were deployed. An enterprise browser has to be compatible back to those earlier versions, back to those old frameworks, because even though they don't exist in our consumer life, that Chrome and edge and all those great, you know, new modern browsers have to work for our corporations sure rely on them still to keep the business operations up and running. And maybe,
1: sorry, Marco, but I'm just, I'm trying to picture the environment now with this, this point in mind, I mean, cloud-based application. Well, let's look at Salesforce, right? Um, a lot of business <laughs> runs through the browser through a Salesforce interface, That's um, right. and I don't know. You could probably describe it much better than I. But to your points, companies became, and even more so today, became technology companies building their own apps. Oftentimes leveraging browser technologies to do that, yep. and there are hybrid applications where they're they're leveraging something like a salesforce and have and they have internal uh, extensions and 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 whatnot to kind of support their internal things so talk to us about that environment as well, where understanding what's what where is it how's the data flowing through what how do we apply policies to that and just just the, the yeah the challenges that come with the, that, that type of environment
0: well let me let me take a step back and, and first describe a little bit um to our audience maybe what an enterprise browser actually is and yeah. what the difference is versus a consumer browser and then i can highlight why this is relevant in today's day and age specifically so let me step back and just just I'm going to punch the consumer browsers one more time in the face if I can. And, and and again, it's not because the functionality is broken or it's not adequate. In fact, it's, I mean, listen, the way Chromium works, it's changed our life. It's changed the way we interact. It's changed the way we collaborate. It's It's been one of the biggest enablers we have. But if you take a step back and think objectively, launch your favorite browser, Chrome, Edge, Brave, I don't care what it is, Safari, there are almost no differences between them when you talk about doing your job inside of Salesforce or inside of ServiceNow or inside of any of these corporate applications that we depend on, there are very little functional differences. In fact, I would contend that employees today, if they're trying to find a more productive work experience or trying to find efficiency in their job, they're doing so through what we would call extensions or plugins into the browser that they get from the Chrome Web Store, the things like that. The problem, organizationally speaking, is extensions introduce their own risk, right? They're unknown publishers out there writing these little Chrome extensions that go into your browser. And what might be a thesaurus one day could very well, the next day turn into a screen scraper or data exfiltration because there's really no governance over that extension model. The enterprise browser was built to satisfy all of these bespoke needs of using a browser inside of a corporation or an organization whether it's healthcare or financial services so when, by inheriting the user's identity by integrating the browser to an identity stack of an organization the browser then inherits the identity and also inherits your group memberships and other associations that are tied to your indebt- identity like your entitlements and your claims And at that point, your enterprise browser becomes actuated with a policy from its management console, which is tied to your persona, the applications you're allowed to visit and browse, and more importantly, what actions or operations can you perform while you're in those applications? Can you copy and paste data from Salesforce into email? Can you download a document? Can you upload a document? What extensions can you have loaded? So the enterprise browser gives you the ability to actually govern almost all aspects of that web experience from a corporate privilege perspective. Now, let me just kind of cut over to the end user experience about this, because if there's one piece you probably pulled from this conversation, it's that end user experience matters. So again, the difference here between an enterprise browser and one of the consumer builds is the functionality built in for that end user speaks to the productivity of their work and not necessarily being able to watch a video on YouTube or post a comment on social media, right? This is about how do I make my life better inside my job? So when I was talking about functionality differences and those being missing inside work applications, this is where Island adds value back to the end user. We built our own copy and paste palette so the user can keep up to the last 50 things they copied and pasted. And that's visually there for them to drag and drop and reuse that stuff throughout their day. We've built a PDF editor so they can edit PDF documents directly in the browser. We've built a password manager so they can store and secure their passwords. We've built AI extensions. So now directly in the browser, you can interact with ChatGPT and other large language models and generative AI solutions. But the corporation has full control over the prompts you use, the data you put in and the data you pull out. So not only is it about giving control but it's also about bringing productivity back to the end user, giving them capabilities that don't exist in other off-the-shelf browsers that they use in their consumer life.
2: Wow. I think it's one of the first times that I talk about cybersecurity and I look at something that actually, instead of stopping you from doing something, and encourage you to do something. So <laughs> That's right. Props That's right. to that, right? It's, it's kind of like, okay, I can, still, I can do things without having to worry that If I do this, I may create a problem. Or no, you can't do that because it's not secure. So
0: it's funny. It's funny you mentioned this. It's the first time in my career with the cybersecurity technology that when I'm given a demonstration of our platform to a prospect or a customer, it'll be 10 or 15 minutes before they see Island block anything. We spend our time talking about how we enable a faster time to onboard a user. We spend time talking about how we can get users to work faster, how the applications they use most often are accessible and quick to load, and how they can actually use data across them in a visual way without having to have a one-in, one-out copy and paste buffer. It's not until 10 minutes in that I show, oh, by the way, I can block this download, and I can block you from going to this bad site and these other things. It's actually quite fun.
2: So how does it work with, with the rest of the environment? I mean, let, let's, let's, let's make a, a simple, no, simple case study where I'm interested, I have a company, I want to use it. What, what does it take? I mean, what yeah. does it change in my, in my security model?
0: Great, great, great way to look at this. So the first thing to know is, is one of the values of an enterprise browser, un, unlike other areas of cybersecurity we've dealt with, and I'll give you a great example. You think about endpoint protection. You don't look at your company and think, I'm gonna deploy CrowdStrike to 50%, I'm gonna deploy Trellix or Symantec to the other 50%. You look at it and say, I wanna find efficiency, I'm gonna deploy this solution across all of it. Perfect. One of the unique things about Island is we can be deployed in pockets of usage, so we can go and focus on a department, a call center, a small team that has access to really sensitive applications, or we could be deployed across the entire organization. So it's really flexible and granular in how you want to think about leveraging it and how you want to think about protecting your org but very simply we're just a browser we don't require any special privileges it's just like installing any other browser you have in your personal life but while we integrate directly to the identity stack we inherit that authentication so for a user we know who you are we know what applications you use and all of that is tied directly into your identity of the organization so we're a quick deployment, we're a quick usage, and then from that point forward, we look, we smell, we render exactly like every other browser. So we can be used as you know a full primary browser across the organization where users kind of live in us through all their web browsing activities, or we could just be used for a handful of applications. In either way, you can almost think of us as an API platform because we can integrate to any of your existing tool sets. So think about this, right? A browser can work asynchronously, meaning if I'm a user and I go download a document, that document's gonna take a second to download. Well, while that download's happening, I can interact with other cyber solutions. I can interact with the sandbox. I can interact with the DLP system. I can interact with a risk registry around that user's risk dynamics and whether or not we should allow them to download the document. All of this can happen behind the scenes asynchronously while Island's enterprise browser waits for a verdict from these other systems and then informs the user as to what action you wanna take. And so not only can we deliver a whole host of really unique cybersecurity solutions and, and really just general IT solutions in the browser, we can integrate more elegantly with the rest of your control fabric more so than any other solution you've had because we integrate across the API for very simply. Seems to
1: me, and I know uh, a lot of, uh, I use a lot of tools to, to help run some of the stuff we're doing with the publication. And a lot of them have desktop apps and and web apps. Mm-hmm. And I would say nine times out of 10, I I just default to the web app version because I'm in the web app or the web browser anyway, <laughs> But what I'm what I'm leading to here is if I at a company wanted better control over how something is used by different people based on their the risk factor, the the activity they're performing, the context of the actions, if I can get a lot of that control through the web browser, I'd I'd probably want to push everything through there, then try to f- Find controls to sit on top of a den point, and and manage it at that level. I don't know.
0: Have you seen use cases for that or? That experience and it's listen. It's certainly it's certainly how a lot of our customers are, are approaching this. Right. I mean, I think there's there's certain functions inside of a company that is has a, has a higher predisposition or as a higher likelihood to want to use like a thick app. Like I think of our finance team and our operations person, like dragging him out of his local version of Excel where all of his macros can run and all of those great things are, that's asking a lot. And then there's, you know, our Salesforce who live in Google Sheets, who live in Google Docs, who live in these online productivity. So again, it, it speaks to that. We don't have to look at everything as all or nothing. But I think your point is, is if I took it one step further, is very interesting because the stated evolution of almost all of these locally installed desktop apps is a web version. If you look at the most recent Outlook client that's been deployed by Office 365, we call it an Electron app because it's nothing more than a Chromium skin presenting the Outlook web interface. It's just locally installed. The same thing is true for the Slack client. The same thing is true for the WhatsApp client. These are all just thin browsers standing in front of a web version of the application. This is going to become our future. This is going to become our new norm. And that's why the browser is such a really critical part of our enterprise infrastructure at this inflection point more so than any point in history. Yeah, I've seen that as well. you Mm want to keep
2: digging deep? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, yeah we use a service called ClickUp, Click, Click Up, I should say it properly. That uh, yeah, it's basically the same thing—a slim browser uh, on top of uh, on top of all the service they offer. So I want to um, maybe talk about some of the the, the extensions because I know I know companies like to build things bespoke for their users, for their mm-hmm. customers. And you, you mentioned the widgets and the extensions and things like that. How how do you help them not just operate perhaps uh, more securely, but uh, do you do anything to help them ensure that they're building stuff appropriate to plug in?
0: Uh, to yeah, it's people? interesting. So there's a couple things, right? So when you think about extensions, there's – perfectly said there's two ways to get them right once a chrome web store the other is when an organization big financials do this all the time um you'll see this in healthcare where their internal development teams created their own extension specific to one of their apps or to one of their call centers or something in between um so let me address both of those so from a chromium perspective it would be it would be a huge mistake for us or or really any, any enterprise browser to forego and and corrupt that extension landscape right so any extension that operates in chrome or edge or any chromium variant operates inside of island so we can you can go to the chrome web store and if you're a huge Dashlane user or you're a huge grammarly user all of those things are going to work exactly the same now island's functionality out of the box allows you from a from a corporate governance perspective To determine not only what extensions do you want to be allowed to be installed inside that island browser but even more specifically when they go to a corporate application or really any application for that matter you get to ask the questions what extensions am i comfortable with them having them loaded while they're in the application so i'll give you a great example everybody's favorite extension or i'll say everybody but a lot of people's favorite extension is grammarly right because You know, I got mediocre grades in English, and frankly, you can see it in my emails. So I use Grammarly to help as we would use ChatGPT and others now to help with our language and clean up our copy as we're composing copy for marketing materials or, or emails. But the way Grammarly works is it takes a copy of whatever you're working on and pushes it up the cloud to do its analysis. So I'll ask you that same question. Do you feel comfortably with Grammarly running when you connect to your legal repository that has all of your contract documents. Maybe I don't want that data up in the cloud, but I might like you use Grammarly when you're composing an email to our customers or something in between. And so having that dexterity and that granularity to say when it's okay and when it's not okay, man, that's functionality that's never been afforded in the enterprise when it comes to browsers. Now, when it comes to custom built homegrown extensions, well, Island offers value there too, because Not only can we help you build the extension correctly, right, through our own development, but we're going to make sure that that extension runs correctly inside the browser. So even if it's trying to access things like the network or it's trying to access page contents when it's not supposed to, I then can put guardrails around that extension and make sure it's not accessing part of the OS, not accessing part of the page or the application in a way it should.
1: So I, I want wow. to, Marco talked about how it fits into kind of the, the operations of of the business. And you touched on the, the, the platform aspect of this and, and the API-driven uh, aspect of this to mm-hmm. connect to other security functions. Um, talk to me about the teams responsible for this. And I'm looking at... Policy teams and privacy and security and ops and it and security who who has their hands on what here um, yeah in terms of bringing
0: this to life <laughs> it's 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 really what's wonderful about this is it's it really follows well to the organizational disciplines you've already created meaning in Island, in we have the ability to, we have VPN-like functionality, so we can route traffic to private apps or private networks or private clouds that aren't internet routable, right? That policy can be completely administered, and only that network policy could be completely administered by a network services professional. So they connect to the management console. When they log in, they see just the, the network components. They're not seeing the data loss prevention. They're not seeing the audit logs of what people's web... Um, you know, web history looks like or where they're navigating to, they just see here are the policies for routing traffic for users and which applications. And so we have that role-based administrative uh, capability so that the individual roles and disciplines can have access and have only the provisioned access. But I think what the real heart of your question was, it sounds like, Brian, you and Island have built a magic bullet or silver bullet or whatever you want to call it. But you're going to tell me it's going to take 100 administrators and a massive amount of resources to to actually build policy around that. And the reality is um, it really is as flexible as you want it to be. We have organizations who look at this and say, I don't know what the first policy I want to turn on is. So just like every cyber tool I've ever had in history, I'm going to turn it into visibility mode. I'm just gonna watch what people do for a while. And then I'm gonna use that telemetry to start locking down the things that scare me and introduce risk. Very simple. We have other organizations who have a very acute use case who are saying, listen, I'm watching third-party contractors steal our customer database. I'm watching them steal our pricing and they're, they're using it for other competitors or using it for new jobs or whatever. And they wanna guard that data. In that case, they build a policy And that policy really varies very minimally as users interact, because if your goal is to say, I don't want you to download the secret formula for my product, well, then I'm just creating a data protection rule around that. That very rarely changes. What changes is when Brian Kenyon shows up and says, Hey, I know you don't want me to have that, but my role and my access really allows me to do that. And so, We've focused a lot of attention on what we call exception-based provisioning, which means I need to get to this website. I need to download this document. I need to do X, Y, and Z. That has to be a user-led exception request. And so right in the enterprise browser, again, the difference between consumer and purpose-built is I can put that workflow for the user. I need to download this. Let me ask for permission. We'll send a ticket to ServiceNow, that ServiceNow ticket gets distributed to whatever operations person gets to decide yes or no. And then an API call from ServiceNow goes to the island management console and says grant access, one time or permanently based on it. And so we've gotten really good at that exception. So we've looked at this and we've thought about it. How do you administer it? How do the end users consume it? And now we're at a point where we're at almost a hundred customers deployed and we have the battle scars and the lessons learned from all those deployments to make it easier.
2: Wow, that's a, that's a lot uh, when you think about flexibility. So I'm going to take this opportunity to flex into the future. And you mentioned already the integration with the, the generative AI. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, again, you know, you want to in-browser use, there is a lot of services now that you're like, hey, you want to write something? Not just correct it like Grammarly, but here, click here and uh, you know that we're going right. to write it for yeah. you. Maybe good, maybe not. Um, Thinking about mid-journey, like you can do like images or, or, or do like a illustration for your business, for your brand, your marketing, and so on. So it seems to me that you build this with flexibility in mind. You just explain a few things now. So how are you preparing for this uncertain future of who knows how many other AI services are coming in, generative, you know, chat GPT number 10 very soon what's what's the future of island looking like to to be ready for all of this it's
0: it's it's our new whack-a-mole right in cybersecurity, we always have one and the new (laughs) one's ai because as soon as one pops up and you grab control of it there's another so here's what we're building towards when it comes to generative ai capabilities our cto dan um He's been in this web space for a long time. He traveled around and talked to some of the biggest organizations on the planet, financial services, healthcare, and really got to them and said, what is it? When you think about generative AI, what is it that scares you the most? And of course, they were scared about their source code and their intellectual property, making it into these language models and being used as, you know, harvesting and information disclosure and just becoming, you know, information that's out there about the company. Of course, that's top of mind. But what they're really concerned about is when those sources create content, whether it's copy that's going into a marketing document or a website or whether it's source code going into a project, they want to get their hands on it before it spreads through the organization, right? If source code's coming from Generative AI, I want it to go to Black Duck to see if it's infringing on any copyrights or any trademarks. I it to go into my source code repository so I know it came from this AI tool, from this user, and this is the code they pulled out of it. They want the organization to be able to check that stuff in so they can look at a central repository and see where it came from, who's using it and ultimately where it got used. And so we're giving organizations a shim into that usage by all of this generative AI stuff taking place mostly in the browser, the browser becomes that good interception point for the organization to grab hold of all that new content coming in and be able to put it aside and say, okay, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to look at the user that generated it. And now I want to understand better how they're using it and if it poses risk to our company. So we are hard at work building capabilities to to do that.
1: All I know is this is, super cool <laughs> i mean we, we spoke the other day uh with the team to kind of get a, a view of what's going on here and and marco and i both came off thinking this is pretty cool and even even more so after talking to you here hearing some of the use cases and the scenarios that you're supporting and the capabilities you offer i mean visibility and control uh just out the gate um obviously really important um, Legacy to future stuff. You can't just so support the old stuff, but not not address the, uh, the generative AI uh, capabilities that are coming to bear. And I, I think what really stands out to me is, and Marco made this point that you're actually we we say this a lot a lot in cybersecurity. We should be enablers of the business, but you are actually doing that. You're enabling productivity. You're supporting. The business workflows you're giving the users the opportunity to uh, request exceptions to where uh, policies might think something should or shouldn't happen in a certain way, and and not interrupting the the experience in in the process. So I think uh, all that to me sounds like like a huge win. And I'll go back to the point I made earlier, where um, I think I made it a couple times in different ways now. But if we can kind of identify or create an environment where we have a secure by design business. And if the browser is at the heart of that, where we're not having all these apps floating around and and we can actually put some policies around the browser to help control some of these things, uh, I think we have a much better security posture moving forward with the flexibility to to define the policies and and to to the points I made earlier, the flexibility to, to adjust them as needed. So for me, this, this seems like a huge win for the enterprise. And, uh, I'm, I'm excited to have had this conversation with you and Brian, I don't know if, if there's anything we didn't touch on that, um, you think folks should hear before we wrap up here. Um, how can they get a trial? I think it's probably on most folks' minds at this point.
0: I mean, listen, we're we are we're one of the easiest organizations to work with. trialing and playing with this tech is one of the easiest you'll ever do because we're not making any changes to any existing infrastructure. It's just a browser. We spin up a management console. We have some local authentication so you don't even have to integrate it off the bat. and you can just get creating some policies and seeing how it manifests from user experience. But, you know, I guess, I guess where I'll leave you guys is, is with this statement is this is a brand new and exciting space and exciting market. And there's a lot of potential in what is the art of the possible. And there's a lot of capability. Like you said, this is the first time in cyber where we've looked at something and said, wow, this is what we've always wanted, which is cybersecurity enabling the business in a safe way. We have a lot to learn we have a lot of capability to build we have a lot of barriers to break down and that's going to happen by working with you know organizations around the globe so we're open to new ideas We're we have a very excited young aggressive development community and development team that wants to solve real organizational problems and so our collaboration with our existing customers and prospects is probably one of the most exciting space things that's happening and so my ask of of the folks out there that listen to this is, let's work together. Let's define the future together because this is a platform that's going to be here for decades to come.
2: Nice, love it. And uh, love it. W- once we're done with this, I'm going to open my Netscape. And Jason uh, <laughs> connect, connect would be so happy. Be so
0: happy yeah,
2: and log into MySpace. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's me very very vintage now brian this was amazing and i i i have to repeat again what sean said uh, when we were talking with the team we were like where was this until now i mean it, it really it's a was a re- it is a revolution and a revelation at the same time so yeah. thank you for this conversation very much thank you for the time
1: yep and for everybody listening of course uh we'll include links in the show notes to uh to connect with the team at Island and uh, Brian specifically, and, and also some links uh, for some additional resources that, uh, that the team wants to share with you. So you all can uh, experience what Island has to offer. So thanks everybody for watching, listening to this story here on ITSP Magazine. See you at the next one.
0: We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and the story made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.